You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 68 of Own the Build with me, Paul Hemming. If you can all do me a little bit of a favor and just go and click that lovely five-star button on your Apple podcast app, I would appreciate it. I'm not going to pest you any more than that today, but you know, I like it when you do that. The title of today's show is How Innovate UK is Transforming Construction. Really interesting show we've got ahead of ourselves. And today we welcome the Deputy Challenge Director at Innovate UK, Mike Pitts. For those who don't know Innovate UK and what they do, it's the UK government's innovation agency, provides money and support to organisations to make new products and services. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to it. It's great to have you on the show, particularly now I know that you come from esteemed colleagues of yours, you know, Oliver Jones, who we've had on the show before. You've got a fantastically strong beard, putting mine to shame. I even tried <laughs> at the back end of last year to have a beard, but it didn't. The missus didn't want it to stay around for too long, so that went. But yours is fantastic, and you're a cricket fan, which is uh, tick, tick, tick I here, am. Mike. <laughs> yeah, we talked about maybe we're just covering cricket only. Uh, but yeah, no, I enjoyed Oliver's Oliver's chat a lot. He's uh, he's he's uh, I. I haven't quite got the beautiful radio voice that he has, though. I I don't think many people have got the radio voice that Oliver has. I have to say, I can still hear his dulcet tones in my ear. An <laughs> absolutely incredible accent and the depth he has to his voice as well. Yeah, and I really enjoyed having him on the show and a very interesting chap as well. So the competition today, Mike has told me he's a cricket fan and he is going to su- at some point glide us in a little cricket metaphor or pun so keep your ears open for that one it's going to be there but at the top of the show Mike just tell us a little bit about yourself Innovate UK and what you guys are doing in construction. So I've been 10 years in Innovate UK now its mission really is just to take away the barriers for companies to innovate faster our job is to help those companies that do want to use innovation to grow to grow more quickly and that grows the economy so the idea is that the the investments that we make will pay back more than the cost of doing so from um, to treasury and we do that in a number of different ways but really we're, we're looking at the barriers that hold back a sector and make some very targeted investments obviously we're well known for funding for our grants uh, which is sharing the risk in in projects that you might be thinking about doing in a few years time doing them earlier so that you get things to market faster and in some areas like net zero, that's a huge issue that we all need to move quicker and hit our carbon budgets. Uh, when I first joined Innovate UK, I joined as a, a sustainability expert. I am actually a chemist. Uh, my time in industry, I worked in a series of different uh, spin outs. So very much from the innovation end. But I uh, was always being pushed towards that role where you translate between technical stuff and explaining things in a way that people can actually action. Uh, which led me towards the kind of innovation support end of things. And uh, it's it's a hard thing to give up. And I've done quite a few different jobs. And somehow I ended up in construction. How did you go? How, I've heard some stories in the last few months with the people we've had on this show. But how do you jump from chemistry to construction of all places? 
Well, the thing, the things that link it really are sustainability uh, and innovation. So once you're in, once I was in Innovate UK and supporting programs that that looked around sustainability, you know, the built environment is one of our biggest challenges. You know, it's depending on how you you tot it up, it could be something like forty percent of emissions. Thirty eight, isn't it? It's scary. Mm. Well, if you're looking at embodied emissions, but it, but more than that, you know, in the UK, the built environment and and um, the services it enables underpin almost half of GDP. So it's such a critical sector. Yet, in some ways, it's it's not always seen as that sexy by other people. So part of my job is to make. I always make say const- that. I <laughs> always say it's not very sexy, is it? And <laughs> my old colleague said, "Why do you always say it's not very sexy?" I said, "It isn't very sexy, is it? People don't. It's not something that captures the imagination so much. But I don't know why, because it's you're creating the world that we live in. I think it's a great industry to be in. Well, that's one of the things that." Um, you know, is my job here, uh, particularly as coming as an outsider. I see it makes it easy for me to say these things, but the, the the sector itself just really talks itself down sometimes. You know, it's almost sitting there saying, oh, we're not sexy, we're not interesting, we're different, we're special. People like me talk, talking <laughs> us down. <laughs> well, that's why that's why government hasn't been giving any money. So, you know, in securing uh, some funding in this area, uh, it's been a lot of fun. But part a big part of what I've been doing within the programme is to start to shift that way the sector sees itself, the stories it tells itself. And I, I'm, I'm very passionate that people in the, the kind of built environment professions understand just how critical they are to the quality of life in this country, uh, hitting net zero. They're the real heroes, I think, in the economy, but they're kind of hidden and they need to step forward a bit. And that's what we've been really trying to do with our programme over the last five years. What was it because i'm guessing maybe maybe i'm going to put words in your mouth here but i'm guessing that when you were not in construction you may have had the same preconceptions about it being in inverted commas not sexy how did that change once you were actually in construction yeah i i probably was a bit guilty in that way i think and i think the past part of the problem we have was um because the idea of builders is a, is a you know, and the vision we all have when we think of builders on a on a building site with it all being a bit messy and muddy and hard physical work is something we can all conjure up. It's the same as you know, you tell a kid about being a farmer; they imagine being in a field and in a tractor, and it doesn't work that way nowadays. It's incredibly high tech, and it's very similar in in construction. But once you get in there and you realise, I think just one of the things that's really impressed me is how pragmatic this sector is and how quickly it will adopt things that work. But what we needed to do was, it's not like some of the areas I've worked before where you develop solutions in a lab and then take them out to market. You have to build things. <laughs> and to try and do it differently, there's an added cost to doing that. You've still got to sell the thing at the end of it. So you've still got to do what it's meant to do. So experimentation can be quite difficult. And that's the idea behind the Transforming Construction Programme was to pay for those extra bits on the buildings to all the different methods in putting them together to say, okay, afterwards, let's look at how, how this is. Was it better? Has it, has, it, you know, has it been built better in the way that it works, but also is the approach of doing it um, made a difference? Is it faster? Is it lower cost? Is it lower emissions? Is the productivity higher? Cause that's the challenge the sector has. And, uh, just watching how quickly the sectors embraced this and how quick it is to move and change and listen to the the knowledge 
and the experience of other sectors that have kind of gone through this has been really impressive. And I think this sector is as innovative as any and really is all about solving problems. You know, that's what it does on a daily basis. Uh, it just keeps solving the same problem over and over again, rather than the new problems that we all have. So we have this issue and it's incredible. You know, you every building's essentially a prototype. You start again from scratch. You design it from scratch. You build it. You yeah. kind of interpret Completely new site. set of teams. Everything's different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and the problems are well known. I don't need to rehearse them. Why do that? Like standardize the stuff that's repeatable and spend your time solving the problems the user has uh, in the way it works, the problems around the impact and the environment. That's where we can be putting our energies. And when we've started seeing people do that, they're coming up with the most incredibly brilliant ways to do it. Um, and it's an honor to be to be part of that. I can see that you are genuinely a bit pumped almost by this. You're really you're energized by it. I can see, and you're smiling from here to here. It's great to see, right? Because I can see that you're really passionate about everything that you're talking about. I guess to contextualize and to help us all understand a little bit about, so we understand the big picture, right? Innovate UK tries to put a bit of money into innovation to bring it forward and to see what those efficiencies are. And you've just described that perfectly, right? With you have a challenging build and there's a few things that you kind of want to add to it and see how it turns out. And that makes sense with what you guys have done. But you wrote the business case for the Transforming Construction Challenge, which is a four-year R&D program, government-funded, right? So what is that program? Yeah, so for those who don't know, it's £170 million on government, matched by £250 million on uh, business. It started in 2018. It's kind of finishing this year. And it's really a national R&D program to accelerate the change that was already happening you know, we we weren't the only one in town, but we're there. We can make it go faster, like like all of our programs, is to speed up innovation. There's this shift towards saying, okay, let's think about how we can be more like a process industry, how we can use digital technologies better, how can we use the same systems to design a building, then building the building to make sure it's built as designed, and then monitoring it as it performs. So we can get that same data and put that back in a feedback loop. So that's where digital comes in. But to do that, you have to standardize the processes in the first place. And we also think if we do that, we'll bring down costs, we'll boost productivity. And the sector talked about this for a very, very long time, tried it in small spaces. What we wanted to do was put the energy into that with some real, to really demonstrate it at scale and compare in some cases, doing it the old way with the new way. And there's a there was a burning platform in terms of availability of skills, I mean, really, the, the sector is not productive enough to meet the demands that the country has in terms of its forward forecast uh, of what it wants to build in terms of infrastructure and how homes and, you know, all the things that we kind of need, as we know. And really, the what we came to realise was that there's um, a system's kind of evolved together that doesn't work for anybody. <laughs> so clients weren't getting what they wanted. The supply chain you know, has all this risk piled on it. There's a fight between the contractors to get to the lowest cost. So what it was producing was the lowest cost building rather than one that had the best value over its lifetime. And really that understanding had kind of come about. And we were very lucky. We hit a rich moment when government had kind of understood that Treasury had accepted this argument that perhaps we might spend a bit more on capital because over the lifetime of certainly the buildings that we pay for at the public purse, we'll get a lot more back in terms of it's running costs, but also it's performance, how it actually works. If we can build a hospital where people get better faster, 
Because of the airflow, because of the dynamics of the building, how it's designed. Again, this yeah. is what I mean about the kind of knock-on impact at the yeah, end. Yeah, you're right. In, in the way a, a building does what it does. And we focused on new build and buildings because we thought we had to put draw some kind of arcs around it. And, of course, this is where the... Um, you know, this is where my cricket analogy comes in. So here know, we go. It's, it's it's all very Hold well. your we breath, can all everyone. Build beautiful buildings. <laughs> we can all build a building that works really, really well, and then we put people in it, and they kind of ruin it. And uh, that always reminds me of my old uh, groundsman who used to say, "I can make the perfect square, and with a lovely pitch that will be perfect." But then you guys go and play on it and ruin it. <laughs> and, <laughs> there we go. We've done it. <laughs> but that's that's really the way we've got to think about it. We've got to design these in a way in, with the user in mind. So it wasn't just making buildings in a better way; it's making better buildings that did a better job. And that was really at the heart of this. And my job really was to write that in a way that um, people above me who weren't construction experts could understand the opportunity. You know, at the time, Sir Mark Warport was our boss at, of UK Research and Innovation, the umbrella body uh, that we sit under and would approve it. He's a medical scientist, became quite well known during the um, the pandemic as one of the people on uh, advising government. And of course, the minister himself got to sign this off, Secretary of State. Again, no background in this, this space whatsoever, has his prejudices about what the sector's like. So we had to explain this story to say, the opportunity was there to look at things differently. Uh, and one of the moments that really clicked for me was when I was sat talking to a house builder who said, you know, as volume goes up in house building, quality goes down and cost goes up because it's it's an artisan sector, essentially, because of the availability of skilled workforce. And me, who used to work in, you know, pharmaceutical processes saying, this is crazy. That's the opposite of what should happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if we made drugs the way you made buildings, people would be dying. So, you know, maybe we could do a better job here. And that's the opportunity. And, um, you know, it's it's been really, really exciting to be part of that. And the results we've seen have been incredible. You know, the very uh, people were told us a lot of our targets were, you know, unreasonable, which the best ones are best targets are unreasonable but not unrealistic uh, and we've you know we've shown that they they can be achieved so we can build buildings at half lifetime cost a third lifetime cost sorry lower in half the time with half the emissions possibly even net zero and productivity boosts of around 15 percent closing that gap it has with the, the construction has with the rest of the economy yeah no it's I, I want to talk to you about I saw some of the numbers around the the success really but this money has gone into in improving or fast tracking innovation right so what specific innovations like is it mmc is it bim what 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 things has it fast tracked that you see tangibly that was going to be 2025 we've pulled it forward a few years and it's being used great there were three areas really the first one is to take a more process driven approach so it doesn't just mean off-siting it means standardizing the approach of doing things not we're not standardizing the, the product at the end. You know, it doesn't mean all buildings look the same, but the process by which they're done can be standardized. And where we can try to use shared kits of parts, because that's where the real benefits accrue for the supply chain. The second was to use digital tools better through the whole process. And really, you, digital the data that comes out of a process means a lot more when it's a standard process rather than a new one each time, because then you can compare projects. So those two kind of have to come hand in hand. And then the third one is to really look at it being that value-driven, how do you take a value-driven approach? How do you procure and design 
uh, and procurement's probably the harder end of it, buildings on an outcome and a value basis on what they do rather than what they cost. And that's How where, do you do that? <laughs> that's where things like the value toolkit we developed, which is now being used as part of um, the way the government looks at how it procures any public infrastructure, come in. So how do we, how do we balance those kinds of needs and say, in some cases, they could be far more important than uh, than cost. I'm guessing in in many cases, right, particularly where it's a government led project, whether it's infrastructure, hospitals, schools, whatever, right, it's. Cost is- well, they, they always have a knock-on effect. It's, it's very hard for economists to quantify some of these things. But a, a very simple example uh, from Bride and Wood actually talking about how they're, they're, some of the work they've done in developing hospitals themselves. If you can make a hospital where it feels better for the patient, the patient's calmer. So when you take them in for surgery, you need less anaesthetic. So they recover faster. So they leave earlier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they cost less. Uh, but trying to turn that into a turning that into a business case and quantifying is very difficult. But even the way you lay out wards, you can lay out wards that mean that doctors and nurses just move around them more efficiently and then have more time with the patients, which of course is what we all want. Yeah, we had uh, someone on the show at the start of the year in January who's a specialist in designing wellness in into and well-being into buildings and he was saying he was talking about one of his experiences that triggered his decision to write this book which was i think he'd broken his arm or, or something along those lines and he was in a hospital waiting room and he said the design of this room that i was in was almost as if someone had designed it to give me as much anxiety as possible. It was so <laughs> yeah. poorly designed. And he said it was one of those, one of the things that triggered him to think, you know, why are we, why do we design buildings that are, it's like a race to the bottom. It's, it, it, and it does come back to that competitive tender process that has been such a, at the forefront of industry for so long, right? It's how can we reduce costs, reduce costs, reduce costs, reduce costs. And then we have building stock, which perhaps, we don't want to have because corners have been not cut. It's probably the wrong. We're not cutting corners, but we are racing to the bottom. Effectively, really interesting. I want to um, talk to you a little bit more, Mike, about kind of like the the success and the legacy of the project. But we will just take a little bit of a break here. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. Now, 
Now, obviously, these breaks are pause so that the listeners don't get to listen to the recorders, but we've just been talking endlessly about county cricket, of all things. What has happened to us, Mike? What has happened to us? <laughs> Deary me. There's a really nice bin model somewhere of the Lord's Pavilion. I'll have to see it. <laughs> oh, happy to see it. Happy to see it. So, jumping back into construction and the transforming construction challenge, which you led and were a big part of, I saw some pretty amazing results that you were championing on one of your YouTube legacy videos, I think about it. Um, and two of them that stood out to me were 50% faster programs and 33% lower lifetime costs. Can you explain how you've arrived at those results? Because I am impressed. <laughs> well, we actually took on the construction 2025 targets as we started because that was the kind of agreement between industry and government at the time of what we were trying to do. But it does feel like those were kind of like people came up with them and said, these would sound nice. Uh, are they achievable? But yeah, we did We did think around some of the reasoning why and certainly the idea of, as we said before, standardising processes, going back to thinking about a lot of this would be driven by the fact that government were committed to procuring on a lifetime value basis, you have the construction playbook now, and also where it makes sense, and it makes sense for a lot of the government estate, to take things in a kind of kit apart approach, start to say, look at the shared spaces they have. You know, there's a huge overlap from building to building uh, of toilet spaces and corridors and all sorts where there's no reason to have such a variety of different sizes and shapes and names and <laughs> components and even within say subsets like prisons and schools you know a sports hall is pretty much roughly the same size a, a school classroom is kind of legislated for you know we, we have rules about the size of, of, of classes similarly for prison cells so why are they all slightly different sizes let's just I mean, agree. It, is, it is mind-boggling <laughs> to even I haven't <laughs> given that any thought about uh, the prison cells is even worse but like schools and it's regulated yeah, yeah you just think what, what hang on a minute that is <laughs> absurd isn't it they are all they're all slightly different but within a very small distribution so let's settle on some of that when you start to do the maths around if we did that what would the implications be we can start to have standardized layouts you had people upstream cutting steel bar for different steel frame providers for different school types and it's the same guys cutting them. So they're cutting a whole load for one guy, you know, for one downstream manufacturer, then resetting because the next day they're cutting them slightly differently for the same end use. You know, you can see where the, the cost builds up. So there's lots of costs, lots of areas where cost steps in construction as it, as it was done classically to add cost, but don't add value. So what we try to do is strip out a lot of those. And the analysis is that we'd seen analyses suggested that up to 50% of the cost could be kind of taken out that way. But also these, these steps add time. And when you start to standardise layouts, then you can start to codify and write, you know, kind of script for designing these components. So you automate some of the design parts of it and you keep your very skilled people rather than design the same thing over and over to solving the problems that that building has. As I said before, we want them solving the problems about how it works better for the user, not how do we build a different box that's slightly different than the last box. Yeah, when you look at that analysis, you say there's a lot we can strip out, and then you go and do it for real, and that's exactly what happens. So so <laughs> you did very... it for you did it for real. 
Talk well, to me about we, that. we don't we knew anything very real out there. There were real pioneers, businesses that say can see this as part of their future. That were prepared to collaborate in the past where they competed with different frame types. Would work together to say, let's go after a bigger slice of the pie. Let's solve different problems. Let's be the business the sector the country needs the sector to be in the future. And all we did was kind of share the cost of trying that. So it's not we're not, we're not the ones going out and doing it. We did set up the construction innovation hub to kind of put the kind of rule books in place for this new ecosystem, the processes to allow people to come and collaborate and said if we work this way, how would it be different? The level of collaboration across the sector has been astounding. You know that everybody recognises that this is a way to kind of raise the, the 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 tide for everyone and everyone to improve. And so we that's been a, a, a real bonus from the program. But really, it's 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 going out and comparing, trying these things, and looking at those improvements. And we've got lots of projects at big scale that have have hit those kinds of targets. And now the outputs from the work we've supported are being applied on something like at the moment it changes daily, but it's something like fourteen billion pounds worth of real world projects. And we think within a year it'll hit something like twenty five billion. And it's got the potential if the sector keeps this momentum up to hit hundreds of billions of pounds worth, you know, we really hit a tipping point then. And some of the results we've seen, I don't see how we'd ever go back in the future. So one of our exemplar ones we love to talk about, and it, and it came about because the timing was so right for it, was um, a development by Landsec in Southwark, an office block, constrained space. So they, they always thought they were probably going to try and do this differently. So it was originally designed and given planning permission using a traditional build approach. They brought in Brian and Wood to say, how would we do this as a kit of parts? So Brian and Wood have developed this idea of this, this kind of system where it was a nine meter by nine meter kind of grid. And it would be the same repeating component built up and something like 85% of the structure is done this way and you kind of finish it off. So a lot of it is just, we build this block, put another one on, put another one, put another one on, work up through the floors. And because of the way it was kind of designed, you actually had um, a feeling of space with a, a, a lower floor. The accuracy of the bill would have a, a lower distance between the levels, while it's not feeling like that. So they could put a few more floors in and it, it kind of paid for itself. We funded the prototyping work to say, how would this work? Almost treating the site like a factory. And then we, we helped fund the work in delivering the building itself. It's something like an 80 million pound development. It's its finished, pretty much finished now. So it's called the Forge. Beautiful looking building, eh? It's gorgeous, but it's, um, it, I think it's more gorgeous the way it was going up. And, you know, we, we went around, uh, there were a lot of tours happening. I don't know how they managed to work so hard with all the tours, but we <laughs> you'd hear contractors on site saying, there's always something to do here. This project's crazy. We're always... You know, as soon as something well, as finished, opposed to sitting around having having lunch early, <laughs> well, that's what productivity feels like. It was designed that way, so the, we had all these kind of temporary structures put in, and you could only put them in the right way. So the whole building kind of went up floor by floor, and these temporary structures moved with it. So the site itself would feel like a factory almost, very clean, uh, very organised. You know, the, those components all had QR codes on to scan, so you knew they're in the right place and where you were at. And the whole build was done to much greater tolerance than you normally would for one like this. And this is where the benefits really start to build up. So it's normally on, on something like that, a nine-meter 
uh, by nine meter grid, our tolerances would be around 50, 60 millimeters. Five millimeters on this site, five millimeter tolerances. What did what what did the operatives on site think think of that? <laughs> they said that it was crazy. It can't be done. But of course, the way the whole thing was designed that way, you had contracts because it's different. They're working in a different way, and they kept saying, "Well, they kept trying to find a fault with it, but it worked. The system worked. The prototyping had been done. Uh, the experts from that were on site, available to help and, and and kind of correct it. And the whole thing went up very very quickly because a lot of it was just doing the same thing over and over." and could almost be automated the, the whole idea was you you went up as you as you went we didn't need tower cranes they had tower cranes because the contractors were well what if something goes wrong yeah exactly <laughs> but the thing went up quick got topped off very very fast it is a net zero in operation building it's a net zero embodied carbon as well it's kind of been delivered this way and it's the first net zero building in the uk delivered by landsec it's also the first we think the world's first kit of parts office and the whole thing was delivered with a 10% capital cost saving. And we think we can go further than that. Um, it's pretty impressive for and, the first time around, isn't it? Yeah, and certainly productivity was up at 13 14%, the kind of levels we talked about. It's gone up much faster than um, another project would. But it's those knock-on things earlier on, because you're thinking about the whole thing as a process. So with those greater tolerances, when it came to cladding, the cladding company was saying, okay, this is... We're not normally a lot of our cost and time comes from coming and having to fit. Don't get me started. I, I'm an ex curtain walling and cladding QS, <laughs> and there was plenty of time and money lost. Well, everything was where it was meant to be. So they got a 40% saving in cost with the cladding guys because they just wow. came up and it just went bang, bang, bang. And they could put it up much faster than they normally would. In fact, they, they couldn't, they weren't delivering it to site fast enough because they thought they would take longer than they were doing. So they actually ran out at one point. And this is repeated all the way through. When the M&E comes in, it just go. they come in and all the bolts are where they're meant to be. So it just slots straight in. So you can think how quickly the completion happened. Do you think as a client, Landsec are ever going to want another building built the old-fashioned Yeah, way? that's true. It's, it's interesting. I see what well, you can now. see the future and you feel how it works. So that's this is how these things start to play out. Um, and, of course, that building's much more likely to operate the way it was designed because of that level of accuracy. That makes absolute sense. And so you talk about not wanting to go back to the the old way of working. You talk about Landsec wanting to do that. So you you penned the first four year, or you penned the the four year plan or the four year business case that we've just gone through, and it feels like it's exceeded your expectations and it's gone really really well, which is kudos, amazing. What do the next four years look like? Is there a next four years for this program? Is it going to change? What happens next? Well, we think now for new build, which is where this program was focused, we're at that stage now where we're hopefully the tipping point is approaching. The sector's understood, can see the value in doing so, and is starting to move that way. Government has changed the way it intends to procure. You know, the prison program is looking to work this way. The education program has been moving this way for a while now towards, uh, you know, a more platform-based approach. The hospital program as well, the 40-odd different developments in in process at the moment also looking to learn from this of course when you've got a standardized and shared approach it has all sorts of knock-on benefits in the way you you know government can more smoothly procure and support the supply chain better with forward procurement but also it makes it easier in the future to upgrade those buildings or extend them because they're all been on similar layouts so we i think we'll very quickly see that flip a bit like we did with bim 
and uh, already other countries are coming and trying to learn from this. So I can see that momentum carrying on. The sector really needs to, because what it wants to do is to turn back to government and say, look, for the first time in a generation, you actually gave us some money to go away and innovate and look at what we've done. We're already delivering buildings better for you. Um, we're already paying back way more, way more than the investment you made and the program's only just finishing. This isn't all jam tomorrow. We'll, you know, like some programs we might support, you'll get your nuclear reactors in 30 years time. This is right now, the difference is being made and we need that benefit now. And the sector needs to now turn to itself. And part of what we've been doing here is to say, start looking at yourself as heroes. You're the ones that are going to deliver the change that society needs to tackle its problems around energy security, to tackle things around net zero, uh, you know, our productivity challenge, the issues. You're a huge part of how we deal. All of my listeners are, are heroes. <laughs> big, you are. Smirk. To me, you are. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I say I've worked in lots of different sectors now. You are the people that can make a difference and you have to stand up and, and, and say this. Stop hiding in the back saying, you know, we're an unsexy sector that's no good. I will stop. You will be will delivering stop. a difference. <laughs> but you, you talked about, so that's interesting because you talked about the story or the narrative that we tell ourselves and that we outwardly tell other industries and other people that we know. What should we be saying? Look, how, how, how do you feel? Where, where are we at as an industry? Well, as I said, I think this is the villain. The villain of the piece really was this idea. You were trapped in a situation where you're delivering the cheapest building. We've got to reject cheapness and say we are here to deliver value to society. You've got to, got to start knocking these things for six, Paul. Uh, oh! Really... <laughs> He's done it again. I've got... Yeah, you know, come on, you guys are the all-rounders here. You're, you're, <laughs> you know, you're, <laughs> you're part of how we deliver a better economy, as well as tackling things like net zero and health challenges and all of these things. And I think it's... I think what you want to do is come forward more and let clients understand who aren't there yet what the art of the possible is what you can offer how you can make things better and explain that yes maybe it might cost a little bit more up front but the long-term benefits and it's more than just the economic benefits you know it's those societal and environmental benefits which are getting valued more and more right now you know Lansec know they can sell space in this office block at a premium because people want to be in a net zero building but it's a healthier place the workforce are better. You can measure the fact that your office workers are more productive in that building. Happy and that's to gonna work. start to drive yeah. the market. People are gonna say, Why am I why am I in this I can't swear, can I? Why am I in this awful building? Do what you want do what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why why are we in this shitty building that's making my uh, workforce less productive when you know, I could be in this. My competition around the, the corner in that building and everything is so good. No, I, yeah, I the you more think people you can keep building the old to... way? No. And we're, and we're not talking about minimising the, the the importance of skills or design. These things are still critical, but focus them on solving the problems of society. And that's that's the exciting thing for me uh, in all of this. No, I can, I can see that. And it, that, excite, that excites me. The conversations I've had, the listeners will have been listening to various episodes recently. And it, it does feel like more and more dynamism, more and more energy is coming into the sector and actually given all of the historic problems you know we've talked about all of that 38 40 percent carbon what we can actually do to change and how it will change it and there is energy there to do it which is great my final question is we've talked about landsec 
one of the biggest developers in the country. We've talked about the government, probably the biggest client in the country, right? I consider myself a little bit of a champion for the SMEs um, because we work a lot with SMEs. How can Innovate UK support SMEs? Or if you're an SME now listening, is there something that Innovate UK can do for, for you? I mean, the majority of our funding goes to SMEs, I have to say. In a lot of cases, the larger businesses do want to work with the SMEs. And actually, the funding we provide allows you to work together in a, you know, in a controlled, managed way that's safe and you can develop that relationship. So, you know, we're, we're all about those, those high growth potential businesses that we can support. Um, and we do. And a, a lot of the program was supporting SMEs. And there's some really powerful examples, companies like Nplan. They got uh, investment from Google Ventures. You know, we're some outstanding businesses out there that are, are making a real difference. I think for anyone, including SMEs, if you go to our website and look at ukri.org slash TCC, you can go and see that video you were talking about. You can go and see our story catalogue, which details every investment. No cricket made. puns in that video, by the way, which is disappointing. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, well, I if I know, oh, can you redo it? <laughs> <laughs> if I known, I would have, I would have put someone, you know, a nice little catch in there for you or something. But yeah, we, I think you can go and really see the the kinds of things we support. We will always be putting funding forward in important areas. What comes next for us is thinking about how we help the wider net zero challenge, particularly where buildings fit with the heat issue, and you know, it's okay getting new build right. That's that's probably five or ten percent of the stock for twenty fifty. Retro is the is the challenge. Let's go make how we fix the building. How do we industrialize our approach to solving that challenge as well? And this is it. You know, buildings rather than being a source of emissions can be a source of the solution to emissions and how we integrate uh, renewable energy in those as well. So uh, we've worked with you know we set up the Active Building Centre to look at that challenge, and I think the collaboration levels we saw across the whole program happen in a lot of our projects as well. One, one example is the AMCH project we did with some of the house builders. I think there was something like, there were over 120 supply chain businesses that got involved there. These big companies are trying to solve those problems and they need they need the innovative SMEs to work with them. Uh, yeah, come and be part of our orbit, yeah. Yeah, the message is, this isn't something that isn't for you. This is something that is very much for you. You're, we want you invited to the party and that's that's the whole thing. Amazing, Mike. You're, yeah, you're only part of this future. The gang, the gang has been starting to form for a little while now. It'll you do need cricket going. puns, but otherwise, the team all is getting welcome. bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Congratulations for a really successful four-year period. Let's excitedly look forward to the to the next. And uh, thanks so much for all of your time. No, it's a pleasure. No, it's been it's been really good to come and chat to you. And uh, yeah, next time we do a cricket podcast. Exactly, exactly. And guys, please do hit that uh, subscribe button and I will uh, I will speak to you all next week. Have a good one. Thank you very much. Thank you.